Welcome to the Something Forum by Echo & Co, a podcast where we talk about digital and organizational transformation, innovation, and nonprofits, and hope you learn something along the way. For this series, we welcome guest Apollo Gonzalez, president at Nimbus Strategies. He talks to us about his journey to digital advocacy work, the importance of local civic engagement, and how he found his voice. We'll also talk about his work in the nonprofit sector and how he keeps balance in his life, despite the many hats he wears. And now your host, Andy Vanderland. Hi, welcome back to the Something Forum. We're with Apollo Gonzalez from Nimbus Strategies, and we're doing our Why Can't We Just episode. Hi, Apollo. Hey, how are you? Yeah, doing good. I love this conversation. Excellent. My first piece in our last episode, I keep referencing our past episodes, so everyone has to listen to the whole thing. It's a marketing strategy. Uh, not really. So you were talking about retrospectives or postmortems after a campaign you've run. And you all ask what goes well or what can you change? What is the like most oh gosh, like knife to the gut thing that you wish you could change. Yeah. Um, in any campaign, um, wow, let me think. Let me think for a second. What is the... This might have been a good pop quiz question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it is the hardest thing is having measured the wrong thing. Mm. And it can lead to overcorrection so that you're measuring all of the things. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> and I think that uh, drowning in data is sometimes just as bad as not having the data that you wanted to have. Um, and in large part, because it, it leads you down this path of like confirmation bias. They're like, all right, I'm going to dig through the like entire ocean of data that I have to find the right data to tell me the story that I want to hear. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> And, and sometimes you can't know, like the best of intentions in creating the KPIs or the metrics for the campaign and knowing exactly what it is that you want to measure and you think you've got it all down and you get to the other end and realize that it didn't, the outcome really didn't tell you any story that was really useful. Mm -hmm. um, so you do your best, I think, to make sure that you've thought through um, all of those pieces. And I think, you know, years of experience doing that helps you come land on the right thing but that's got to yeah. be the worst that's got to be the worst when you, you're like well this is not this actually didn't tell me anything and because we didn't get <laughs> oh, no, yeah. because we didn't gather all of the data we you're just gonna have to go at it again yeah. I, I think it's rare it's rare that it happens uh but when it does it's a it's definitely a, a gut punch are there kpis key performance indicators that you always measure no, I feel like every campaign is bespoke, right? Like yeah. it's, you just never know what's going to be important to any one client. I mean, I think there are things that are always in there, but you can't say that they will always be there, you know? Yeah. And it depends. Yeah. Is it click-through rate? Is it impressions? Is it engagements? All of those are important, but they may not be important to, I don't know, a public awareness campaign, or they may be important to a public awareness campaign, but not to a fundraising campaign. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I try to approach it like there's always like a well of 
those KPIs that you can pull from and mm -hmm. put on the board, uh, but you go in knowing that the board is a blank slate and mm. you're put stuff on it. So. To the point of not drowning in data and there being a well that you could drown in, how do you help people focus in on the things that are going to be most, you, you know, theorize will be most important for tracking for the end of understanding the impact of the campaign? Yeah, I mean, I think especially at this point in my career, I'm, I, I'm not reluctant to push back on a client who's really focused on vanity metrics and, you know, like, well, yeah, this particular open rate doesn't really matter for this campaign because our focus is not necessarily on email. Our focus is on paid placements and social. Um, so, uh, can you, before you continue, define vanity metrics for us? Yeah, so those are the metrics that um, have sort of been, for me, this is how I define it, that these are the metrics that uh, have been set as a standard set of metrics that you can pad really easily so that they look good, but don't necessarily lead to achieving the objective of the campaign. Yeah. Does, that, does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Thank you for that. I can't remember where I was going. I, I now I interrupted your thought. And <laughs> no, no, that's all right. What we were talking about, but I forgot the beginning of the sentence. Um, we were talking about like trying to maybe weed through all the potential KPIs and figure oh, yeah, out yeah. like which ones are important. Um, you said that you are fine with pushing back on the vanity metrics because of your experience and your you know, awesomeness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it is, um, I don't know it, when working with clients, you can come with your best recommendation to the table and there you have to make some decision about what hill you want to die on. Right. So if they want to measure something, it doesn't necessarily mean a lot to the achieving the objective of the, of the campaign itself. And it's not harmful to measure it. And it's a fairly low, uh, capacity demand, then I think then I think it's fine to do it. But I think it's important to be like transparent with the client that ultimately this doesn't give us a good measure of whether or not we've moved the needle or towards achieving the objective. Yeah. Um, but they may want that because they've got a you know a board report and there's a blank for that and, and a funder report and they've just got to fill it in. Um, so yeah. I think there's just that that negotiation that's necessary. I asked you what is like the most gut wrenching thing you'd want to change from a retro. What is the best went well thing? Yeah, I think the there there are the hidden gems in that, right? So there are the went well because we achieved the campaign objective, and that's great. Like we go into that, and like I at least try to set myself mentally that we are going to achieve that. So great, we achieved the mission. Whether that's getting a you know, member of Congress to mention your issue in a committee hearing or whatever the case may be. It's the, the best went wells or the, the sort of unexpected, uh, the unexpected delight in the, in the execution of the campaign. We did not expect that we were going to collect um, stories from this cohort of supporters. We'll just say in this instance, dads 
we didn't know that we were going to collect such amazing stories from dads. And there's a real opportunity to create a community of dads that we can activate at any point. And we didn't think that was going to happen, but here it is. And here's this opportunity. So I think those, those moments um, are, are the, for me, are the best possible outcome because it, it creates a whole new opportunity for moving the mission forward. Great. I love that. So optimistic. Um, what is your favorite question you get from people you partner with, stakeholders on their organization? Um, wow, that's a really tough one. You know me. Tough <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, what is my favorite question? I'm also going to ask you the most cringy question. So, <laughs> coming to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the, I, th I think what can we do different is probably, is probably at the top of that list mm -hmm. because it Why? implies, well, I think because it implies that there's been some reflection that uh, on what they have been doing and how, what they have been doing, how, what they have done hasn't necessarily worked or hasn't necessarily got them mm. to where they want to go. Um, and it implies an openness to being pushed in the right direction or being brought along for a journey in the right direction. It's often, you know, often a client comes and says, I need you to do this, which is fine. Like that's, that's our work. Um, but they have a preconceived notion of what it is that they need to do different. Um, and that may or may not be the right answer. Um, but there is a lot of excitement and I think potential for innovation and creation in the question of what can we do different. It leaves possibilities open. And I think that's a, an exciting question and one that I definitely love. Great. You answered my follow-up, which is like, what does that tell you about your partnership? And sounds like it's full of opportunity. Yeah. Well, and, and trust as well, right? Like for an organization who has invested time and resources and everything into their mission and into you and into hiring you that they come to you and ask you. And that shows an openness and a trust that I think is uh, sometimes hard to, uh, hard to achieve. Yeah. What about maybe, I don't know if I like the word cringy. It kind of makes me cringe, but <laughs> um, you know, those questions that are just a little bit like, I don't know, cringy. So an example is like, why can't we just, build Amazon. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We get a lot of that or, uh, I've got an idea for an app, which I cannot believe is still a conversation that we're having, but <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> I like will unsubscribe from companies. If they're like install our app to see the thing, I'm like, I have yeah. a browser. It's fine. Yeah. It works perfectly. I don't want an app. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm good with your web interface. It, it works. Yep. It does everything what I needed that I needed to do. I don't need to search through my phone for another thing. Um, I, I, th I think, um, I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's cringy, but it certainly often causes me to pause. And that is, um, 
I'm going to rephrase our question. It is a, it is a question about, um, well, I mean, I guess doing service work and, and supporting clients. There's, there's always someone who's going to want it cheaper or faster. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I think that those are, it's not a strategic question. It's more of, you know, a just like functional operational question. Um, but asking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the best price to get the work done. And I'm going to give you a realistic timeline to get the work done. And that timeline is carefully crafted to consider my own capacity and the capacity of your team. Right. Cause these engagements require multiple team members. Um, and so I think that it often the cheaper or faster is a, is, is the question that makes me pause about mm. maybe not necessarily the commitment to getting the work done or achieving the objective, but certainly about all of the moments that will cascade between the beginning of the engagement and the end of the engagement. Mm. Um, right. Where if they need this on a shorter timeline, is it the design feedback that we're going to get pushed back on that works going to get shortcut is it the discovery process that's going to get shortcut yeah so so this yeah that's where i am how do you facilitate a conversation with people about that like once they're asking about timeline and budget yeah i mean i think it's about sacrifice and understanding what are the nice to haves and what are the need to haves to get to the to the to the end right um, and I, you know, and often that, you know, that may be as simple as saying, okay, well, you wanted us to interview 20 stakeholders within your organization. And if we really want to cut this down by two weeks, then we need to make that 10 stakeholders and yeah. you'll have to manage inside your organization, the politics of removing 10 stakeholders, because, especially if you've already set up the expectation that they're going to be interviewed. So I think it's just that like, okay, we can still achieve the goal with this many inputs, um, so let's reduce it to that to that number of inputs that we need. Um, yeah, and and I feel like that's that's not unusual to have those to have those conversations. Um, but I think it, you always get there. And yeah. if you don't, and if you don't, you have to make a decision yourself about whether or not to walk away from the engagement. Right? Like, yeah. There's totally neither one of us is set up for success in this moment, right? So, <laughs> Maybe in the future we'll have a better partnership. Yeah. yeah. If we pause our work together right now. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. We definitely experienced that. And it's not a personal, it's not about them, you know, not liking us or us not liking them. It's just like the requirements that we have and the requirements that they have just aren't currently aligned and they might align in the future, but right now they just don't mesh quite, quite yet. Yeah. And I, I think there's also an opportunity to break up often an opportunity to break up the work as well, right? To say, all right, well, let's phase this out and just say, we're going to do this, you know, the timeline that you need, the bare, the minimum viable product is a two month engagement and not a six month engagement. So let's do a two month engagement and see where it goes from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Great. And you'll have all of these great KPIs to prove impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we may we may discover something in the two month engagement that we had assumed incorrectly in response to this RFP or whatever, and uh, 
we may reevaluate what the second half of the engagement looks like after we're done with this first. For the rest of this because in our sort of intake survey you wrote that you're very curious about how large language models and artificial intelligence will change the way we do advocacy work so what are you thinking like how <laughs> things change advocacy work as you know a thought leader and expert in this yeah i mean i think that the the universe of uh, opportunities and changes is pretty expansive. Um, I think there are some there are some fundamental operational pieces that will provide efficiencies, especially around things like. Uh, research and reporting um, that I think every organization will be able to take advantage of and implement pretty quickly. And I think those that are going to benefit the most from it are small organizations. Um, I, and I think that's like, you know, spreadsheet analysis and data analysis and, um, you know, making, charts and presentations and annual reports and those sorts of things where it requires sifting through data. Um, how I, you know, on a daily basis, I cannot remember what Excel spreadsheet formula does what, and I can ask ChatGPT. <laughs> I can ask ChatGPT and it'll spit it out for me and just copy it and paste it in and it, and it works. Perfect, right? yeah. <laughs> um, so there's, there's all of those efficiencies that like have a impact on, team capacities and budgets and those sorts of things. I think there's a little bit of a danger around setting up expectations around staff capacity. Like, well, you've got chat GPT and you should be able to do this twice as fast as you were before. Right. There's mm. some, there's certainly some dangers in there. Um, but at a fundamental operational level, I think large language models are going to make our work uh, easier and more efficient, we'll need to be more cautious about review, but I don't know that it's any more cautious than we already are about reviewing what it is that we're putting out in the world. Um, I think there's a lot of questions around the ethics of using these um, large language models to do things like writing copy um any content that people are consuming um around analyzing uh demographics um around around influencing how the models are trained i mean there's mm -hmm. a big conversation right now happening especially in the sort of disinformation community about how LLMs are being trained to spread disinformation and how we counter that. Um, and, you know, is the right answer to train a large language model? Um, we'll say to talk about, you know, the impacts of overfishing uh, 
from an advocacy perspective, as opposed to from the fisheries perspective, uh, you know, we had the same questions around Wikipedia, right? Like at the outset, like who gets to edit the articles who, and you know, LLMs are trained with Wikipedia information, right? And so, yeah, so there's some big questions around how we how we interact with those LLMs, how we train those LLMs and the information that we get out of them. Um, I think these are the big, these are the conversations that we're having right now and I think are going to be important uh, and will inform how we utilize them uh, for the advocacy work that we need to do. But yeah. I think at a base level, from an analysis perspective, from a data analysis perspective, I think they're going to be a huge help. I'm not a fan of, I still haven't quite wrapped my brain around how we would use generative AI. So these are the ones that are doing mm-hmm. things like can create music or can create images, right, yeah. those sorts of things. I mean, I can see a generative AI. How often has a nonprofit organization had to pay for a little sample of music to use in a video, a 10 second or a 20 second video? You know, what does it look like if we could just use generative AI to create? Mm. A, a snippet of uh, of audio for that. How are you having convers? Are you having conversations about AI and LLMs with nonprofits right now? Yeah, yeah, for sure, and especially around climate disinformation. I mean, I feel like that's mm-hmm. the big. Uh, that's probably the biggest uh, for me, anyway. The biggest place that the conversation is is happening. Um, Ugh, makes my heart hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And it is, um, you know, it's filled with that excitement that we felt. And and, uh, I think back to our first conversation, it's filled with the excitement that we felt when we realized we had access to social listening tools and like the fire hose of data from Twitter, right? There's so much information that we could get access to and we were excited about it because we could jump into it and we could plug in someone's email address and find out what social channels there were on, like all of those different things that we were excited. And then we took the pause and said, Oh, wait a minute. What's the, what are the ethics around this? Yeah. We're in a good place. We're having those conversations right now. And, and especially around climate and the conversations happening around climate. Um, There's some really smart people, um, who are engaged in those conversations and how we utilize AI moving forward. Okay. Still kind of scary. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, it's funny cause I, uh, uh, even, even on, you know, stepping outside of the, of the nonprofit sector and thinking about how I use it, you know, as city council, right? Like mm, yeah. I can tell, uh, one example we we have um, we have a state agency who's in our community right now, and they're tearing down a bunch of trees because they're going to build a retention pond for flooding. I I understand like we there's there's a trade off there, um, but that got got me to thinking. Well, what does it look like to create an ordinance that prohibits the removal of native species beyond a certain age, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fine. You can go cut down invasive, invasive species and brush and whatever. But what does it look like to create an ordinance that prohibits anyone from coming into the community and cutting down um, a tree that's older than 10 years and is a native live oak tree? And so I just asked Chet GPT to write that ordinance for me. And, wow. and it did it. It spat it out in five seconds, and it 
you know, it was all properly formatted with the whereas's and the what for's yeah. and all of those different pieces. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, this is pretty solid. I read it through a few times, gave a few prompts back and forth, and it felt like, okay, yeah, this is good. This this like creates a penalty structure for cutting down trees. This creates a this is very. I asked Chat GPT to include all native species to this region of Texas. It went out and found oh, them wow. and put them in there, did, did all the work. And I sent it to the to our attorney, our city attorney, to take a look at it because we, we can't just go past that. And the city attorney said, yeah, this is really great, uh, but what about landscaping companies and what about uh, people who's, uh, who the, where the tree is dead and presents a danger and listed mm-hmm. all of these things, right? And it's like, oh, well, we couldn't possibly like chat GPT give us a good starting point, but the yeah. human human engagement and, and involvement and in, like actually crafting a piece of legislation is absolutely critical. So mm-hmm. yeah, limited usefulness, but it's a good start. Yeah. It's almost like, what's it helps overcome writer's block or the magnitude of the, the thing. Like to me, creating ordinance feels like totally untenable. But yeah. I can ask ChatGPT to help me get it started and then dig into it more. I think that sounds great. And it might actually, I've been toying with the idea, I may have talked about this on other episodes, but of like maybe AI is something that can actually help us get away from our computers and digital so much. And it might also be a way to like reduce another barrier to government and to advocacy if we can do the big step first and then the incremental change can be done by humans. Um, we, yeah. the first case was chat GPT or like generative AI or any of those things could do the big thing. And then we can use our brains to do the nuanced, um, like real world work of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we just a, one other really quick example. We, we have to, as a municipality, we have to adopt a building code and the building code is hundreds and hundreds of pages long. Oh and God. every year there's a, Every year there's a new building code and we're typically required every decade or so to adopt the latest version of it. But adopting a new building code has serious implications for the community is do they require, you know, fire suppression systems? Do they require, you know, whatever the case may be in the new building code. And for, especially for municipality of our size, which is the majority of the municipalities in the state of Texas, we're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking two or three staff, full-time staff and that's it and volunteer city council and volunteer mayor um, to go through hundreds and hundreds of pages of code Mm -hmm. um, is onerous and incredibly expensive if we're going to hire somebody else to do it. But as you know, I, I asked chat GPT to compare the 2012 to the 2020 building code and it did it in a matter of seconds. And it gave me all of the changes in a table format that I was then able to go back and say, all right, well, now I know what the changes were and I don't have to spend my time on these 70 pages because there were no substantive changes on the 70 pages, but on these five pages, there are clear changes that need to be done. So that just like really changes how a, a resource strap municipality can, can function. In yeah. the world. So there's some good in there as well. Yeah. There is. That's great. I love that as an example of the, potential opportunities. Um, I'm not usually one who's like, oh my gosh, it's new and scary. I think there's a lot that could happen. I did not agree with it. Let's stop using chat GPT until we make rules around. I'm like, wait a little. 
first of all, it's not going to happen. We couldn't even put masks on for a pandemic, but like, (laughs) you know, not really one of those, but I do like thinking critically about it. And I like this, like there are opportunities here and it could be very helpful for um, some of the goals that the people we work with are trying to accomplish or you're trying to accomplish um, as a a government official. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Well, very cool. Next up is our accolades and successes. So we'll see everyone on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Something Forum. Tune in next week as we continue our series with guest Apollo Gonzalez. Our host is Andy Vanderland. I'm Melissa Huntley, our editor. The music you hear in this episode is Something About Something by Sarah, the instrumentalist. This podcast is produced by Echo & Co., a digital agency sending creativity on a mission.